Welcome back to another episode of the Financial Autonomy Podcast. My name is Paul Benson. Thanks very much for joining us. Today, uh, we're going to talk commercial property, and I've got an expert on the line. I've got Scott O'Neill. He's the director of Rethink Investing, and they're a buyer's agent for commercial property. And in fact, I believe that they're one of the largest in the country, but Scott will fill us in on all that. So commercial property is the go. Now, you guys will be aware, of course, the financial autonomy framework, one of the streams there that we look at is property. And more often than not, we talk about residential property when we're thinking property. But of course, residential is not the only game in town. And so an opportunity came up to get Scott on the line and I was very keen to grab that and get his expertise. So uh, firstly, Scott, welcome. And uh, yeah, thanks for giving us some of your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Paul. Now, whereabouts are you? And and, and I often like to ask what you can see out your window if indeed you have a window. Uh, So we're based in Bondi Junction. So we're, I guess, call it a Sydney-based buyer's agency with a, a national focus. We, in fact, don't really buy barely anything in Sydney because we are yield focused investors. So we uh, don't often like seeing the terribly low yields of our city and uh, yeah, it takes us other places. So we, we're investing heavily in, in all parts of the country. So, you know, generally anywhere from Brisbane to Perth to the major regionals to Adelaide, like we are quite literally all over the country helping clients purchase. And yeah, like I said, we're, we're really into commercial for their yields and uh, it's very popular at the moment, like all the, the growth and um, I guess that market we've seen in the residential is, has caused a lot of people to move towards commercial because the yields are just simply, yeah, they're far superior and, uh, and that's sort of where our business helps people get into the right properties for their budgets. Beautiful. All right. Well, I certainly want to get into the, the weeds there a little bit more uh, shortly, but first, tell us a little bit about your background. How did you come to know your way around commercial property? So I would like everyone, I was just a residential investor who like my, my background was engineering. So invested for the numbers. So even when I was a residential investor, we targeted higher yielding residential properties because the idea was if the property could cover itself or give you an income, it'll help you get to retirement faster than buying you know, something in Sydney or Melbourne and you're negatively geared. Like to me, that was almost like a backward step towards retirement. Uh, So residential was the initial starting point. And then for me, the yields were just not there. They were were too low. Even even the highest yielding residential investments were a little bit disappointing. So over the years, got the confidence and and knowledge to to look into the commercial space. Started by just reading up, doing the usual uh, inquiries through agents and just trying to work out how to price things. But I did that for about two years before buying a property myself and ended up purchasing a like a dual tenant asset in Perth um, many years ago or about six, seven years ago. And that was a fish and chip shop and a, a small supermarket. So that to me was a fairly recession-proof investment. And that's sort of the style of investing we go with. We look for tenants that will perform well in, in good economies, bad economies. And, uh, and that's sort of how I initially got the confidence to get into the commercial market because I thought, well, the tenants have been there for a long time. I can see the rent they're paying. It's amazing. That was about an 8% net yield. So residential, the best I was getting at the time were 6 7% gross yields. So on a net basis, that wouldn't have even been 2%. So a lot more income was coming from this. And I could see the tenants were paying on time. And yeah, it, it was almost a no-brainer. So that's how I got into it. Now, that yield focus, I mean, yeah, you certainly get different viewpoints on that, but the counter argument would be particularly on the residential. And in fact, I know I've had other guests that have had this specific view that, you know, income's not the main game. We want growth. In fact, low income's good because it sort of 
I don't know if this is accurate or not, but there's a perception that if it's it's lower income, that's because there's a higher growth potential, whereas the higher income properties, maybe there's there's less growth. Have you seen that? Is that true in your experience? Or ha- how do you play off or how do you think about that balance between generates great income, but capital growth would be good too? Or I don't know, maybe you don't care about capital growth. Yeah, look, it, it's a very good comment you make because it is true. There is this perception out there and that, that's what the masses do think. So there are, and that it is probably truer in residential for commercial because if you go into a lower social demographic area where there's, you know, there's basically more supply, like you're going to need a higher yield to justify that investment. So that lower yield comment is, is definitely the case in residential. There's plenty of exceptions to that rule as well. So you can't generalize, but there is um, there are some facts to what you've mentioned. Commercial is a different beast though. Some of the commercial growth rates the last three years have been far superior to uh, residential. Like, there's even, like all you need to do is Google industrial capital growth rates and you're going to see all these articles of up to 60% growth in some areas in 12 months. Like Now that's obviously an outlier, that type of growth, but you know, we're, we're very public to tell you we buy a lot of industrial properties, for example, around Brisbane. That's had about 30% growth in two years on top of those good yields. So you don't have to choose one or the other. There's obviously some investments that will grow slower, but right now there is, um, there's a flight towards commercial and that's causing, I guess, extra growth. And it's a low stock market as well. So growth is a, a function of asset value or demand over supply and if there's not much supply and a lot of demand of whatever it is the price will go up commercial is no different what's driving the demand piece okay supply is constrained but what's driving demand so the number one thing is yeah i guess yield seekers taking advantage of lower interest rates so the same same thing that's sort of happening in residential people have started prioritizing houses the banks are coming to the party you can get loans fairly simply or not simply it's very hard and slow at the moment but lending to a commercial property is is quite it's quite possible if you've got the deposit you're going to get the loan and and there is different lending criteria that we could go into later if you'd like Mm. but there is there's a lot of investors non-traditional commercial investors flocking to commercial because probably the the main other reason is the numbers stack up better so you can buy a million dollar property that's going to give you if it's a seven percent net return that's 70 grand income that you're going to get and the tenant pays all the outgoing so mm. if you spend a million dollars in residential you're probably going to get 35 grand gross and then you've got to pay you know 10 to 15 grand of outgoings on top of that because you've got your rates your insurance your maintenance this all gets t- taken care of by the tenant so you know that might take your net income down to 25 grand mm. on a residential property but you're getting 70 in commercial so big difference now the traditional I guess argument against commercial or you know balancing out that high yield is that a residential, if it becomes vacant, generally, I know COVID's a bit odd, but generally you get another tenant in within a matter of weeks. Whereas commercial, and I've certainly have clients that have experienced that, it can be the case that commercial properties are vacant for a long time before you find a new tenant. What's been your experience there? And and yeah, could you comment on that that aspect? So it's a good point. And that's that is true so there is longer vacancies in commercial and the main reason is it's i guess is properties are quite specific so if you're buying a a medical center how many doctors are going to be looking in that market at that time that need that floor space there is a you know less of a i guess an overlying uh demand for that and that's where residential you are sheltered by bad decisions so if you buy a bad residential property it's still going to probably lease to someone it's just got a price attached to it 
commercial property, it's all about quality. If you buy the best position, like a corner located place, it's, uh, you know, on, on the main street, there's always going to be demand for that. But if you go buy around the back alley and that goes vacant, yeah, sure, it's going to be very difficult to fill. The other argument, the counter argument to that is, well, it's not an argument, it's just probably a, another comment above it is commercial tenants stay a lot longer. The commercial properties I own, I've had tenants in there and they've been like, I'll use that fish and chip shop. He's been there for 40 years. There's been a business changeover in that time. So it hasn't been vacant for 40 years. And the convenience center in that has been vacant twice in the last 20 years. And there was six months in between that. So yes, the vacancy periods can be longer, but you also find the tenure is going to be longer as well. So overall, if you sort of look over, you know, call it a 20-year ownership period, you, you probably find the vacancy periods aren't that different. It's just it's going to be more in uh, bulk, I guess. When the vacancy happens, it's going to take longer. And that's where you've got to be careful. You've got to do your due diligence. How long would it really take to fill that property? And if you're out in the middle of nowhere where there's no tenants, don't buy the property. But if you're in the middle of suburbia and you can see the last shop went uh, vacant and then was filled within three months, that's a pretty good indication that maybe you've got quality. So I guess the other element too is to ensure that you've got enough of a cash buffer so that assuming you've used debt to buy the property, you can still carry that debt through whilst it's empty, yeah? Yeah, exactly. And if, if because of the significant cash flow you're getting from these investments, if even if you carry your tenant for three years and it goes vacant, yeah. one would hope, you know, if you're a sophisticated investor, you've got your buffers, you plan for those rainy days, plan for the vacancy. If it happens, you can deal with it. Um, yep. And if it doesn't, that's a bonus. And are you, when you're buying properties for clients, are you always buying them tenanted? Do you ever buy vacant places and then take your chances on finding a tenant? So very rarely do we ever go near vacant. And the main reason is we can find enough good tenanted stock out there. Mm. The ones we have done, like when I say, like we've done 2,500 purchases and we've probably bought grand total of five vacant properties out of that. So extremely rare. The ones we've done vacant purchases with is when it's um, literally one we know we can fill before settlement happens. So you can put a property on the market and then you know, there's tenant demand there because maybe we know that market very specifically and we know how long it takes. So if you get a good discount on the purchase because it's vacant, you just got to run the numbers and see if it stacks up taking that risk. If not, there's always a tenanted property you can target. So if, you know, we've got in- investors listening and they're interested in property, I mean, you sort of touched on quite a few points, but just in case there's anything we've missed, what are the the attractions, what are the arguments for going down the commercial property path as opposed to perhaps the more reflex action of residential? Look, for me, the the reason I went to commercial is I couldn't see myself ever retiring from the income of residential. Even if you've got a $5 million debt-free residential portfolio, like the yields on that are just inefficient. They're so low. Like you're there for the growth. And unless you plan to refinance regularly or sell off residential sort of over the years like it's pretty hard to generate a workable income into retirement you can do that with far less debt and far quicker with commercial so it is more of a retirement solution and it's probably more scalable as well because you know i i can i even myself i i ran out of residential uh capacity in terms of lending but commercial you could keep going especially when you acquire more commercial your income grows and as you know one of the criteria the banks look at is income the more mm. income you've got the more you can lend so commercial can help your serviceability so 
that's uh, if you run out of gas with residential lending, this is an option. And um, yeah, for me, it's it's more like a business. If you've got residential properties, it's really you're there to look after them. You've got to pay your mortgage down on it. Like it's not going to be the other way around. A commercial, it is an income producer, and uh, the growth will happen. Like that's it's a big myth that they don't grow. Like that's why. You know, wherever you live, there's commercial properties selling for a lot of money in your local area because they've grown over time through inflation and, and whatnot. So that's, um, that's why I like it. You're going to get the best of both worlds. You just got to be careful. If you buy the wrong commercial, the shelter is not there like it is residential. So it is more lucrative, but the punishment for getting it wrong can be, can be greater as well. So can you let, let's hit on that then. What are some of the, the traps? What, what can you get wrong if you're buying into commercial property? All right, so one of the big traps at the moment are people are just simply paying far too much, uh, especially at things like auction houses where they're, you know, they, they're auctioning off child cares and service stations and those kind of long lease type investments. People are paying too much for it in this market. And if that tenant left, because let's let's use fuel as an example. Like, what if that fuel station isn't needed in ten years' time, and you paid all this money for it? That that could be an expensive, environmentally, you know, challenging development. You've got to get yourself out of. And um, and people are throwing millions of dollars at these investments. And I'm not sure if they're thinking about all those sort of how can I release this property? What other purposes does it have? So you sort of want a multi-purpose type commercial property. So. You know, if you're buying a, a medical center, it's not only going to be good for a surgeon, it might be good for dentists, it could be good for physiotherapists, all these different types of businesses. But that's something to take into consideration. Not understanding the relatability, is it? So like I mentioned before, you can have a long vacancy if you buy a poor quality asset. So you've got to put your, your head in the same shoes as a tenant. Like, why would the tenant want to rent there? Why is that property special? And if there's no reason other than the current tenants there and for some reason they're, they're happy. Like you've got to really understand that. And if you don't have that kind of business acumen, I guess that's probably where you can really go off the rails quick in this space. COVID has been a really good thing for due diligence with commercial because we can see how the tenants have done through paper trails. We can see how they've paid through March and April in 2020. We can see all the negotiations they had with their landlords. And if you've got a property that you're looking at and they've had zero COVID relief because their business was strong because it was an essential service business, then that's going to give you a lot more comfort compared to a, a building, you know, maybe buying a, an office space in the CBD, which we know is probably going to be one of the, the, the battlers of, of the next year or two. Because uh, Actually, that, that, that was somewhere that I wanted to go. And I guess when I think commercial property and, and, and you know, you correct me, but I, I kind of think of three buckets. So there's the office environment, there's the retail shops and that sort of stuff. And then there's your industrial warehouses and things, right? I mean, firstly, if there's others, tell me, but that's, that's where I'm at. But yeah, the performance of those different buckets would be quite disparate. As you say, offices would be doing it pretty tough, whereas industrial, with all the online shopping and all the rest, would be in hot demand, I imagine. Can you sort of, you know, those different parts of the market, how are they looking? And yeah, what should we be thinking about there? Yeah, so... You're exactly right. There's there's probably a fourth category in that specialty. So that's your like your single purpose assets like childcare, service stations. But look, the the retail market's very diverse as well because that could be anything from KFC, fast food related type things, all the way down to high end fashion stores. So not all retailers equal. For example, COVID has been very kind to supermarkets and convenience based retail. So 
and that can flow into medical as well because a lot of medical are in retail spaces. So pharmacies, you know, any type of allied medical health type asset is is a growth market at the moment. They've obviously got resilience because they're not going to struggle from the day-to-day ups and downs of economy because when people get sick, they're going to, you know, pay their doctor basically. So as a landlord, that's a good thing to have in your portfolio if you can get it at the right price. So plenty of growth happening in medical and the retail space, but convenience-based retail. Uh, like all the fast food giants have had their best year in history at the moment because more people are taking the uh, the drive-through at the moment and you know less going out to fancy restaurants. So fast food is doing very well. And then outside industrial is from from every corner of Australia such a strong market at the moment. There is there's a few reasons for that, like not just COVID pushing more people at home and ordering more online, but also the fact that things like build costs have gone up significantly. So it's harder to supply industrial at the right price at the moment. And I guess industrial has all of a sudden become a bit of a, I guess, a comfort zone for many mums and dads. Like you, you just mentioned exactly why it's a strong investment because more people are ordering online. So that common sense is filtering through to this once unknown space so Mm. more people see it as a a safe haven asset if anything and i use that term very carefully not all commercial is safe haven but but industrial is is really a strong market and the leasing market is strong the there's a lot of owner occupiers in that space as well so you're not just investors there's owners that buy their big warehouse and they'll never sell it they'll just rent it forever if uh even if their business wasn't there so office space is the weakest though Office space is is broken into two main segments, your, your sort of CBD markets and your non-CBD markets. The ones up in towers right now, the vacancy rates have roughly doubled if you look at the, the data from all the different capital cities. So, you know, Sydney went from 5% to nearly 10%. Perth is double that. So um, pretty large vacancies in, in some of those markets, but a lot of them like at the time of this recording, a lot of them are going through a, a, quite a large rebound. But the interesting thing about the office market, although I, it's probably the weakest, we've seen record square meter rates for sales. And a lot of the office market is driven by the fund manager space, guys that, you know, like the AMPs of the world, like these guys, institutional investors, and mm-hmm. many of your listeners probably already own commercial and they don't even know about it because it's in their super fund. Yep. These guys are buying towers at record square meter rates at the moment, and it's off the back of the lower interest rate environment, mm. and they they can deal with the short-term leasing risk. So if you can get past the fact that next year or two or three might be not as good as it once was, it's still viewed by these fund managers as a blue-chip asset, and that's why we're seeing square meter rates still maintain beyond what I thought they would, to be honest. Mm. Just circling back on the industrial piece, because you get a lot, as you say, there's a lot of owner occupiers in that space, and the so the industrial might be, I, I can't really think in square meterage, but not enormous, right? It's like good for someone to run his his, you know, panel repair shop or whatever, but it's never going to be an Amazon fulfillment center. So, is there when we're thinking about industrial, does it need to be a certain size or a certain scale for there to be strong demand, or is there strong demand across the board? Yeah, it's a good question and it changes with the economy. So we help our investors buy anything from 50 square metre little man cave style things all the way up to 20,000 square metre type sheds. And the Amazon ones, like they're, they're building one in Sydney at 200,000. So there's another whole end of the spectrum that, that we don't go near. 
right now all levels are, are very tough like very busy as a general rule the smaller the the property the easier it is to fill because there's more small business so if you've got a 200 square meter warehouse in the middle of middle of the city there's a lot of you know two or three man band companies like all your tradies would want that space that there's a lot of businesses now if you've got a 2000 square meter shed there's going to be less bigger business for that so now all that means is it might take an extra few months to fill a larger tenancy but the benefit of buying a larger shed is your tenants have more invested capital in that space so mm. they've got larger fit outs they're more immovable than a small guy that can pack up and leave so smaller tenancies get filled quicker but the uh, the tenure length is obviously going to be a little bit smaller because they might outgrow that space so you know, sometimes a two, you know a two thousand square meter shed might be the best because you you could get the longest term tenants. So mm. who who really minds if you've got an extra month or two of vacancy if they stay an extra ten years compared to a little guy? So everything's got a pro and a con, like mm. uh, like all investment styles. But um, these are the things as an investor you just want to get across, and mm. if you can understand those risks or what will probably really happen, that's that's where you can actually get a lot of comfort in this style of investing. Who are your typical customers? Look, to be honest, almost everyone. We work from you know guys as young as eighteen, all the like my oldest clients in his mid eighties. So we, we generally find that it is a a slightly high net worth space because a lot of them are business owners that have already got a residential portfolio and they're now going large with a commercial. Now the, the recent residential boom has given a lot of people equity, so there's a lot of people refinancing their house and they might have a deposit large enough to go buy a commercial property that actually has the ability of creating them an instant passive income without actually using cash because they're using equity from their house um, but look we're, we work with, with almost every type of investor so brand newbies all the way up to guys that have like we even represent some fund managers as well to help buy the properties because we buy a lot of them off market and yeah just getting access to contacts is very big in this space it's if you can find a good asset which they're hard to find like you, you don't buy everything on the internet you've got to really be picky that that's the value in in sort of i guess working with people finding those assets they couldn't find themselves yeah and do you think the expectation is interest rates will will rise in the next few years and you know the timing and exactly the magnitude who knows but certainly not expected to get any lower now that must particularly when you're working on commercial as i understand it you know you're doing some sums around what's the yield and therefore what's an appropriate price to pay Presumably at a higher interest rate, your maths on that would give you a lower valuation point. But by the same token, people buying now would be factoring that in. So how do you see interest rates being a bit higher in the you know, two to three years' time and beyond? How do you see that impacting the commercial market? So firstly, like to sort of give some context, the current interest rates on average, for the, I'm saying for clients, are around... 2.9 on average so that's there's what a whole the bank's bunch. charging them you mean yeah that's what the banks are charging right now so we're, if you're buying an asset that's got a six percent net income there's quite a nice little gap there so if interest yeah. rates go up you're still you know very positively geared in that situation but more importantly like you as you said you've got to plan for interest rates rise and one of the reasons an interest rate will go up is because inflation's gone up now the good thing with commercial property is leases are attached to cpi increases so inflationary based increases. So as a commercial investor, you want your rent growing. Now, if you're if you're growing at three point five percent on average ten years in a row, that compounding on itself is going to give you more than forty percent increases in rent over that ten year period. So 
we want interest rates to like i actually don't like this environment it's almost too aggressive the, the asset prices are going through the roof yields are getting lower and lower so an interest rate rise will actually balance the market to actually see you know increased yields again and you know it's not going to happen suddenly unless they want to crash the economy so mm. you know commercial investors generally go in with 30 35% deposits as well so an interest rate rate rise is really not going to cause a big big issue because um you'd be getting rental growth before that happens anyway and because of the uh i guess the inflation base it it'll probably punish the residential markets more so cuz imagine you've gone and 95% lended a two bedroom unit and that goes up that's going to probably cause you to fire sell it a lot more than someone who's got 30% cash down on a 7% net yielding asset yeah and the just on the yeah so the lease and the way that adjusts for inflation is it normally right you you know your rent is whatever 40 grand a year adjusted for cpi or is it a set like 2% plus cpi like is it only adjusting for inflation or is there some real growth there as well um, so every lease is different, and this is part of the due diligence. Um, so most most of what I see is either a CPI or a three percent increase. The greater of that's sort of like okay. a standard standard amount. So some of them might only be three percent. There's no mention of CPI. Some might be four percent. I guess it's lease dependent, but generally um, leases are set at the market rate. So if um, rents are growing, like for example in in industrial, they're growing a lot at the moment because things like the bill costs have gone up, like inflation's happening mm. and that's making rents grow as a result. So they're definitely going up because of that. And yeah, all leases are different, but the reason the rent, I guess commercial's grown so fast in the last couple of years is there is this extra growth from the extra demand coming. And, um, and that's where it, like residential and commercial are still, not, like they've still got land value attached to it. They've still got lending uh, differences which you know if lending gets easier more people will flow into that market so mm-hmm. growth is a function of its demand and and the buyers always but but the rent is a gauge of of capital value as well so if you're going up four percent per annum your commercial value technically should be going up four percent as well if the cap rate of the area is the same and in fact assuming you've leveraged to get into it then your investment's going up even more than that which is actually what I wanted to just touch on, and you, you briefly mentioned this before, but yeah, in the residential space, depending on your balance sheet position, but you might be able to borrow 100% of the value of the property and certainly you know 90% without too much difficulty. But yeah, commercial, as I understand it, typically you need a larger deposit. What are the banks requiring in terms of deposits at the moment? Yeah, so you, you need to go off 30% deposits. Now, there are some options to get up to 80% loans, but there is a greater barrier to entry into this space. So that's um, that's one of the reasons most people default to residential, especially for their first property. If you've got 50, 60 grand in the bank, you're not going to get into commercial. But um, if you've got a 30% deposit and asset values for, I guess, an entry-level commercial property start around 500 grand, so 30% of that, you know, plus stamp duty and all that, you, you need to allow for 150 to 200 grand cash deposit to get started. Now, the value is almost infinite. You can You can see billion dollar properties for sale so it really depends on how much deposit is where you'll go in this space but it is uh, it's a more cash intensive space but um and that's probably one of the other reasons the yields are higher because you know you've got to put more money into it but i guess that's going to make the cash flow numbers work even better isn't it yeah and it, i think it de-risks the market too like i you know the fact that you've got more experienced investors with lower debt levels um like all the fund managers running 
billion dollar funds generally operate at a 50 to 55 percent debt so debt is in commercial but it's not to the levels you know as a percentage to residential and have you got a sense of vacancy rates across commercial at the moment yeah look at different asset classes different vacancy rates um we're seeing record low vacancy rates for industrial right now so you know if you had to pick the number it'd be like between all the capital cities somewhere between 2.5 to 3.5 between all the capital it's cities very low isn't it yeah and the other extreme is office so office is like i mentioned before i saw some data from one of the big i think it was knight frank or one of those companies they mentioned sydney's now 9.5 percent vacancy perth was uh, upwards of 16 17 percent i guess brisbane was halfway in between those numbers so yeah, the vacancy rates are higher for those, and um, it's just because there's a lot of supply of it. Like, and and that, uh, and then they're looking at sort of the top end of town as well. Like they're not looking at the little suburban accountants or lawyers, and and that that's the type of stuff I like as well. And that on that on, I guess it's a lot more specific than buying a floor plate in the city. Like you might have a little freestanding office with a you know a view over you know where, wherever it is. So not all offices equal as well. And that's where the business in it is important. There was a just last week. There was an auction just up the street here. I'm in I'm in Essendon in Victoria, and uh, it was a corner retail two tenants, and that it went for four point two mil with a, a rent of almost two hundred thousand. So it was on a high four percent yield. How does that sound for retail? And and what is that? Is that a accurate reflection of sort of inner suburb? rental yields is that what people should expect in the commercial space or what's what's your sense of it so look our average yield we we hits in the low sixes net yield okay, so, so we are so um, the ones at the low end yeah like we we don't like one of the reasons we don't buy much in sydney or melbourne is because of those numbers for me that that doesn't justify the the reason you go into commercial so like they're probably there for the capital growth that sort of argument you you put forward earlier on is is very true However, some of the highest yielding assets can grow the quickest too because there's more room for yield compression. Like people can pay more for that rent. So if you look at it from a, you know, just a, a math point of view, you're going to see extra value in, in higher rents. And um, yeah, for me into the fours, it doesn't justify going into commercial. You can still get numbers into the 6% and that's going to put your um, your income balance sheet in a, in a much better position if interest rates rise. And But yeah, look, it's a, that's another case of, Look how much capital growth is happening. You know that mm. that property was probably worth half its value five years ago. You know, and yeah. it's uh, it's amazing what's happening in this market. Just thinking about the the maths on it, I mean, you get a, a mortgage on a on a residential and it's twenty five thirty years. The the banks when they do their their commercial property loans, right? Oh, they want a thirty percent deposit, but are they putting them out over twenty or thirty years, or do they require them to be repaid quicker? Uh, every bank's different, so they're um. I've got some 25-year loan terms. I've got some 10-year loan terms. So it depends on the bank and the level of debt you're taking on. Like there's a lot of different factors. There's all, like the biggest thing is a full doc versus a lease doc loan. So a lease doc loan is when they don't look at your income. They look at the property's income. So you, you could be unemployed mm-hmm. um, and the bank will lend to you if you've got a cash deposit for a commercial property with a good lease. Right. So... That's a solution for many people that have run out of like lending ability in uh, in residential, but you're going to get a shorter loan term in that case because right. they'll lend on the the lease. So that's why if you've got a seven year lease, you'll get a seven year loan term. Or sometimes the banks do 
seven years minus one. So they review it before, okay. but you can then talk to the tenant and then get them to renew early. And yeah, there's all sorts of games you can do to, to make sure your lease stays long. But um, yeah, that, that's, that's a big difference with residential versus commercial. And how about land tax? Any difference, commercial to residential? Uh, generally, the tenant pays your land tax a single holding basis. So the land tax is the same in terms of calculating it on the property. Okay. So it's still a, you know, a portion of the, the I guess, the, the council rateable land value. And um, yeah, look, sometimes if you buy a big industrial shed, there's a lot of land there and it's going to be worth a lot from a land tax point of view. So you've got to calculate land tax in your net income. So when I quote 6%, that's after land tax has been accounted for. Sometimes the tenant's paying it, sometimes you're not. If it's not, you're still going to subtract it from that gross income. And it's something a, a lot of residential investors make the mistake of missing land tax yes. and then all of a sudden they've got 15 grand extra a year they you know they haven't accounted for. So the returns, again, like how are you going to retire off, off all these costs and these low yields? Um, you sort of have to have a commercial property in there to, to have a chance. Mm, okay. It's interesting that the tenants would pay the land tax. That's uh... Yeah, so they're called triple net leases, a lot of them. So, you know, for example, I'll, I'll use a childcare. They pay even rental management. So you, you'll pay a leasing manager and the tenant pays that 5% cost or 4% cost, whatever it ends right. up being. So, again, you've just got to review the lease and then, yeah, you can see these these returns are truly net. The only thing we don't include is your mortgage cost. Mm, yes, yeah, fair enough. Everyone's different in that percent yeah. respect. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think we've touched on this yet. Where are the best opportunities now, Scott? So it's, it's a hard one to answer. It's, it's, it's getting harder because it is a very competitive market. Stock is low. Look, I think anything industrial, if it's in a – especially if it's in a built-out suburb, there's there's definitely an opportunity for future capital growth. The bad thing about industrial is it's it's very you've got to compete hard for it, so yields are dropping. There's I think there's going to be a rebound in certain retail assets next year as well in 2022, so you'll see some opportunities come up there. There is a two-speed market in commercial. There's the auction, you know, expression of interest, mass marketed type assets that go for super high prices and then there is a big off-market trade in commercial and right. when i say off-market it really is off-market not like you know all these residential agents say oh you've got an off-market property but really it's been sent to a database of 500 people that's not off-market commercial off-market is you've literally got to sign documents to say you won't talk to the tenants early because no one knows about this sale so you can get those at better prices as well because you're not up against that same level of competition so if you get access through your local manager or commercial agents, you know, some of that stuff, it can be, it can be good opportunities there. But I, look, I, I like kind of riding the, cap, the, the growth of different capital cities. So just like you would with residential, you, you focus on where the, the next hot spot is or, you know, next opportunity. So we're, we're buying in all capital cities at different levels depending on where they are on the cycle. Because I think Melbourne and Sydney are the most mature markets. So as you go outside and go to the smaller capital cities, you can get better yields and a better dollar-for-dollar dollar deal. So, right. so going down that angle is, is probably smart over the next few years. Okay, interesting. Well, look, thank you, Scott. Thank you for uh, yeah, sharing your wisdom and, and fantastic insights. Where can people hunt you down and, I don't know, web address, social media, any of that kind of gear? What do you want to share? Um, just probably Google rethinkinvesting.com.au. We're, uh, we're all over the internet. So, yeah, if we can just have a chat about 
your specific budget or whatever you want to talk about commercial happy to help fantastic all right well look that was that was really good and uh yeah it was fantastic to be able to share your expertise and i'm sure the listeners will really get a lot out of it so thank you very much for giving us some of your time no worries thank you paul betty all right see you guys see you next week listening to the Financial Autonomy Podcast. For information on all the ways that we can help you gain choice, including our online courses and loads of free downloads, visit www.financialautonomy.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information contained in this podcast is of a general nature and does not take into account your personal circumstances. You should consider obtaining personalised professional advice from a licensed financial planner in your jurisdiction before embarking on any significant financial matters.